iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from the Times on the eve of Euro 2020. Today we'll be looking ahead to the chances of England, Wales and Scotland. Of course, we'll also make our predictions for the stars of the competition and wish a very big welcome to the special one, Jose Mourinho, who's joining the game family. Loads to come on the game Euro 2020. I'm Hugh Wozencroft. I'm in Baku, Azerbaijan, two and a half thousand miles from home. But don't worry, plenty for us to discuss. I'll try my best uh, to come through loud and clear as well. We're going to be with you each and every day throughout the tournament. So much for us to look forward to a long overdue international tournament. But make sure you subscribe right now so you don't miss any of the daily content and the best of the action and reaction across the continent in the coming weeks. Joining me today to get it all started, Jonathan Northcroft, Tom Roddy, and welcome back, Gregor Robertson. Daddy! Daddy! Very own! Daddy Cool! Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoying life as a new dad, brother? Thought about the cool bit. Uh, yes, it's like everything, everything, everything they tell you is true. It's so intense. The love, it's like elation and exhaustion in equal measure. Um, and, you know, after two weeks of about an average of three hours sleep, uh, you might need to give me a, a virtual shake from time to time, but I'm delighted to be back and uh, have some football to talk about. <laughs> What's harder, playing football professionally, 90 minutes, tough, gruelling game in the EFL, or a, a sleepless night with a young baby. There is no comparison. <laughs> it's the sleepless <laughs> night only. It's the sleep. I should have had a children ten years earlier when maybe I could have coped to the sleepless nights a little bit better. <laughs> but it is the hardest thing. I could tell already after two weeks. It's going to be the hardest thing uh, experience of my life, but also the best. Absolutely, I'm sure. Jonathan will attest the most rewarding thing he's probably ever done as well. Look, except for the game podcast, of course. Loads for us to discuss today, exactly. Loads for us to discuss today. Um, Because look, we've just been waiting so, so long for a tournament like this. Tomorrow we'll reflect on the first game, the opener between Italy and Turkey. But today I really wanted to talk about the overarching possibilities and hopes for the home nations going into this. There are big hopes for some nations, of course, in this, but maybe more questions than answers for others. And I think on that point, we have to start with England and Gareth Southgate, their manager, because there are reports that the system's going to change, the personnel's going to change, four fullbacks starting in the newspapers this morning. Who's going to be in that front three? All those questions that we've been debating and newspapers and fans have been talking about over the past few weeks. We've got to the eve of the tournament, basically, and we still don't really know. We aren't really any clearer on it. And I just wonder whether that means England have no real chance 
no real chance of winning this competition. When you look at the other big nations and the comfort level with which the likes of Italy and France go into it in terms of the settled formation and the settled personnel as well. Jonathan Northcroft, firstly, does that mean England can't win this? And also, does that mean that the performance is going to be at a level where Gareth Southgate is going to be really heavily judged? He'll, oh, he'll be, he's going to be heavily judged. I mean, the anticipation for this tournament is, is huge with all the talented young players and, and the element of it being a home tournament. And I think he's had his, uh, his summer of love. He's had his waistcoat moment and now he's going to get um, a little bit more um, severely looked at whatever happens, but he's probably ready for that. I mean, I've been thinking about the same thing as you, Hugh, but the, the, the fact that we're so far away from knowing fundamental things about that England team, the formation for one of them, um, you know, clearly the best back four, the, 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 the midfield combination. Um, I think all we really know is that Harry Kane is going to play and Declan Wright is going to play and John Stones is going to play. Um, it's a curious way to go into the tournament when, as you say, you know, the, the French team, for example, are, are so well oiled and well established. Um, the Portuguese team are, you know, pretty familiar and, and they've done that thing of, of you know, re rehearsing a, a team before a tournament. The Croatia team England play are, are, are hugely well established. So England are going in with a different approach and I think it's dangerous. I think it's, 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 Odd that the, even the warm-up games involved using players that aren't even going to the tournament, um, giving players a debut. I mean, I don't think any other major country is going in like this. The one thing that in, in Gareth's kind of uh, defence or locker might be that the build-up to the 2018 World Cup wasn't dissimilar. I remember writing stuff on the eve of that tournament about how he really needs to sort out his, you know, formation and he needs to do this you know, his, his, his defence and so on and he was still trialling things I mean Jesse Lingard came in quite late before that tournament uh, had a great performance against Holland and, and booked his spot Loftus-Cheek came in late as an option um, I think the midfield combination of Lingard and Ali um, as a kind of you know two sort of three eights that, that was quite a, a, a belated idea so he has done this before and pulled it off Um but there's more experimentation this time. And I think it's more difficult in many ways as well than, than the World Cup where really there was a benign opening game and the draw opened up for England. And, and I think the England are going to have to be on it a bit more from the start this time. Tom, what do you think? Do England have to hit the ground running? If so, how do they go into this weekend? I'm not entirely sure you have to hit the ground running because that's not necessarily how the successful teams always do begin tournaments. Um, it just, they just don't have to, they, they, they need to not fall straight through the trap door in the first game, essentially, and, and, and set the tone. Um, how do they approach it? I mean, the, the, the problem is they'll look at, they'll look at the opposition Croatia, who are incredibly impressive in the middle of of the park, and so they have to they have to counter that 
essentially they have to counter that which is which is largely why and they're, they're so dangerous on the edge of the box which is largely why there is this debate over whether he's going to play three at the back that then sort of nullifies that or whether he plays with the, the four at the back and and two holding midfielders the kind of dogs of war in in Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice and um and I, I still have no idea. And, and as 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 Johnny rightly says, um, it's it, it feels like the biggest issue is that we're, we're talking with Thursday morning, and we're going to be exactly the same on on Saturday, thinking ahead of a game the next day, and and have no idea who's going to be in that in the starting eleven. Um, I, I kind of, the one thing though. Uh, I David Walsh wrote a, a really good piece on on last weekend on Sunday, um, which which was all about that kind of the the, the way things have progressed with England. That that Southgate uh, Southgate's kind of the the atomic kitten summer of of two thousand eighteen has gone, and now he's going to be measured um and he that credit's kind of not not gone but won't be has been used up a little bit and which i agree with but i also think in the last few days he has reminded us why we sort of fell in love with him that summer um the dear england that he wrote for the players tribune the way he's spoken the way the england media days over the last couple of days and the the openness that we had from that that squad three years ago it's it's really reminded us why we fell in love with them again um but the the problem the the big problem is how they how they handle the expectation this summer because you know going into 2018 they they were it was nowhere near this i mean harry Kane spoke about it in the sunday times last weekend that um that they were there was the doom and gloom around the last euros with roy uh roy hodgson what happened there it was complete doom and gloom and no expectation whatsoever and sometimes i just think teams thrive off that they 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 have a, a fearlessness because there's no expectation now they go into this tournament and i mean for for some bookies they're the favorites which i don't think they they should be considered quite as high as as um, France and Belgium, but they are considered and they know it. They know they're considered the favourites. And, and Harry Kane said that in, in that interview that, that he's, they, they've got to work out how to handle being the, one of the favourites this time. Gregor, respond to that then. Where do you see England in terms of the favourites and the, the level of expectation? How do you see it affecting them? I mean, that's the million dollar question. The, the expectation, the, the, you, I think only... I saw something that only Italy are kind of less experienced in terms of uh, their squad makeup. Um, you know, for some of these players, a lot of young players in this team, and you think that's, that could be kind of, there could be some freedom about them, but there is a lot of expectation, a lot of kind of weight on their shoulders. And the only thing I would say is, you know, there are a lot of unanswered questions and a lot, lot of issues to discuss in England's team, but there are lots of solutions. I mean, solutions that most countries would bite your hands off for. You're talking about whether they would go to a back three now, and your initial reaction is that that's pretty, that would seem pretty crazy after you know, making a, sh- a transition to the back four and, and finding a 
pretty much a system of play that we all recognise now. But they've lost Harry Maguire. He's not fit for the for the opening game, and that's a big big weakness. And before when we were talking about, I think England got two solid centre halves to play together. or want somebody to play along Maguire. Then Stones emerged, and he thought, yeah, he could play a back four. Take Harry Maguire out of that, and and the question, you know, it it doesn't seem that mad to go to a back three because who comes in alongside Stones? I'm not sure. Um, so that you know, that's one thing. Then you, you think about who's going to play alongside Rice in midfield, and you've got Jude Bellingham coming through. And I know he, he, it's about balancing some level of experience and these young, exciting players. But I think England really have to trust that Southgate is the man who sees them every day in training, who knows what they're capable of, and is the right person to to make those decisions. Because I agree with Tom. I think you know, well, the football has not always been. You know, scintillating, or it's not shown a you know a rapid progression per se. I think we all know that Southgate is the best man for the job at the moment for England, um, and I think really it's about trying to trust him to make those those decisions. And I think you know I think England have got a really good chance to to go far to to go to the semi final stage at least this year. Um, Harry Kane will always get goals. You know, an abundance of riches up up top and attack. Um, I think you're right. It is about how they handle, handle the pressure, but I still believe England have, have got a really good chance to to be a success this year. As someone who's played, do you look at him as a coach and think he doesn't really know his own mind? Have you played for a manager before where the players are looking around? And I'm not saying the England players are necessarily doing this, but where the system often changes, does that change your confidence in the boss? It depends. I mean. It... <laughs> I think it's about the kind of the the context and the conviction they have in making that decision, those changes, um, and I think everyone everyone would agree that Steve Holland alongside him is a you know a very astute tactical mind. Um, so I, you know I think it depends on the context, and I think if you were looking, as I say, at that decision to perhaps move to a back three without Harry Maguire there, that would not seem ludicrous. And you know he's got so many so many talented players to try and fit into attack that is that that for me is England's biggest issue whether they play a back three or a back four it's about selecting the right the right kind of formula up front and getting the getting Foden getting getting Grealish on the pitch too I think you know this could be a huge tournament for Grealish um it's about it's about that that's the that is the really biggest biggest question for England I think getting that formula up front right Jonathan, what do you think? Does Gareth Southgate know his own mind? I look at the other managers, Joachim Love. I look at uh, even Martinez at Belgium, but Deschamps, of course, Mancini with Italy. You know, these managers seem to have a philosophy and a strong one at that. Do you, do you feel that about Gareth Southgate? I think there's a consistency of principles um, and that's probably what will draw the players along. Um, you know, it, 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 you can change formation as long as the messages are the same. And I think, I think I think messages are quite sort of consistent for England. You know, we know he wants to play out. He, he wants to press quite high and he wants to trust attacking players. Um, sometimes you see Gareth battling against instincts. I think I think there is still some old-fashioned... I, I think there is a clash between this, all those things I've just said, but there are, there are some kind of more instincts that come from, I, I guess, the football era that he, he, he played in himself. So he... He always wants to have two holding midfielders when it comes to really big games, and um, that goes against sometimes his, his desire um, 
to you know press from the front and be be sort of front foot about stuff. But I think I think in general I think in general he does. I, I think in 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 his in fairness to him, it's what Gregor says. It's he he keeps getting sort of curveballs thrown at him in this in the form of injuries or young young talents emerging. And I think that is the biggest reason that he's he's been changing um, over the last year. The, the funny thing about three at the back is, you know, we're kind of talking about it maybe as a sticking plaster for because Harry Maguire's injured and it's an extra safety measure. Why not play that in the warm-up games then? Um, that I mean, that, that 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 that'd be one thing for me. And also, England's England's worst sequence of results came last autumn with with three at the back with. Um, uh, against the defeats against Denmark and Belgium consecutively, and I think he'd gone back to three at the back after the Nations League, where England were exposed a couple of times um, defensively, and there'd been the Kosovo game, which was chaotic before that, and the defeat against the Czechs. I think he went back to three at the back in search of defensive solidity, and actually didn't get it because um, he then sort of ran aground against those better teams. So. There's also evidence that's kind of contradictory to him. There's three at the back was great at the World Cup. It made a solid, but actually it hasn't worked since then. Um, it just goes back to the... I, th- I think it's not all Gareth's mind that's brought us here, but it just goes back to the fact that there's, so, there's still so many questions um, on the eve of this tournament. And if, if nothing else, if nothing else, I think the use of the... I think the two warm-up games was very weird. I think you could excuse all the kind of injuries and um, young players emerging, blah, blah, blah. But I think those two warm-up games, I know the Champions League players were, the final players weren't there, but I I did expect to see a bit more of the England that are going to play in that first game being worked on. Instead, we had players who aren't even going to be at the tournament playing. Gregor, you've played in defence. Reports this week... I know. Look, listen, at least if you're going to choose that many fullbacks in the squad, we now have an answer for, for why. Um, there are reports that he's working on a system that would see Ben Chilwell play as a wingback, Reese James play on the other side as a wingback, and both Luke Shaw and Carl Walker start in the back three with John Stones. Four fullbacks start in the game. I mean, that's commitment to a philosophy. Everything I've said before is totally wrong. Can you see it happening? Will it work? See, everyone thought he was crazy when he was selecting four four right backs, so maybe he needed them all. <laughs> um, there's no one in that that you would say is like a square peg in a round hole. It's like it wouldn't be so ludicrous. Um, Scotland use it to great effect with with Tierney, uh, Tierney and Robertson combining down the left. Uh, if you're a team that's going to be dominating possession, having somebody who's very good on the ball and willing to step out with it, it's not you know that's a that's a that's a strength. I don't know. I, I personally, I can't see it. I can't see that that being the the lineup personally, uh, particularly against a team the strength of of Croatia, uh, maybe against Scotland. But um, <laughs> uh, but no, look, that's Luke Shaw has been has been outstanding this season, and he's he has at times played that that position uh, in a back three. Uh, Chilwell's had a had a strong season. I mean, you look at look at the the makeup of England's fullbacks players. Have, Won the Champions League, won the Premier League in the last uh, in recent times. You know, it's ridiculous. Won La Liga. All these, all these players. Um, so, if if England were to play a back three, I don't think it would seem it wouldn't seem ludicrous having fullbacks playing either side. Perhaps one rather than two, though. Might even try and squeeze in Kieran Trippier as a number ten. Who knows? Um, 
Tom Roddy, we're going to come to Scotland next before we talk Wales and we'll hear Jose Mourinho's thoughts on who might impress in the tournament as well. But look, let, let us as England fans, let's have a quick chat for a moment. How are you feeling, mate? Honestly, tell me, compared to all the other tournaments that we've been to, are you more confident now or less? Probably more. With a with a heavy heavy hint of anticipation. I mean, it's it's. I think the thing is, listening to, I saw the the, the stuff about Luke Shaw playing um, left side of centre back last night, and as Gregor said, it's not. It's it's it could work, but we don't know if it could work. And the fact the fact that. The fact that we don't know what that starting lineup is is going to be in in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I've just I scribbled down just before we started a couple of starting elevens that that, that you know that are, that are pretty different with d- different formations, and and I just have absolutely no idea where where we're going with it. But I I think with <laughs> with Harry Kane with Harry Kane in the team, you just think. <laughs> There's a, there's a massive chance. Every tournament's the same. Every tournament yeah. for England is the same. Pin all of our hopes on Harry Kane. We'll probably get an ankle injury. We'll be talking about it in 15 years' time. What would have been if it wasn't for this one player who broke his metatarsal or whatever? It could be a calamity as far as I'm concerned for England. I actually think they could get knocked out in the second round. Good chance for me that they could play Portugal, even Germany. Yeah, so look, uh, look I just hope that they play with freedom. That's actually the only thing that I'm looking for. There isn't a point having all of these young players and not just giving them the opportunity to go out and enjoy themselves at Wembley in front of their own fans. Cause I think the front six players will be more than good enough. And just, just, you know, I know it sounds very, very simple to say, just go and attack. I, I don't think they should just play with wanton abandon, but certainly the emphasis should be on being on the front foot. I think that's their recipe for success. Um, rather than packing the team full of defenders, which I know we've spoken about before. Um, but yeah, look, we'll, we'll see exactly how it goes. Of course, Croatia, tough the first game around. I'm, I'm thinking England will win it narrowly. Just Jonathan and Gregor, I want your thoughts on, as Scotland fans, how you're feeling going into it. It's very different, of course. It's been a long, long wait. But you don't want that feeling of just going along for the ride either. Jonathan, how are you feeling? It's, it's just brilliant. I, I, I can't tell you how, um, you know, I think you have to be Scottish to appreciate what it's like having been in the wilderness for so long and watched these tournaments come and go and enjoyed them but not been part of them and um, and watched with envy the Welsh and the Northern Irish and so on. And it just feels amazing to be part of it. I mean, I, I bought my, my daughter um, Panini Stickers album um, for this, for, she's she's eight, and it's kind of she's kind of not quite ready for it. But I'm certainly ready for it. And just just getting Scotland <laughs> players, I've been able to stick them in, even though one of them was Liam Palmer, who's not in the squad. But you know, um, it's, it's really exciting. We're part of it, and you're and you're looking at you know buying all the Euro magazines, and there's a feature on Scott. It's just it just feels like uh, I don't know. It, you you you've you've sort of made it. You're part of the, the the kind of family, as it were. I don't know. It's it's a funny feeling. I'm I'm just I'm just really excited. Um, I, I've thought a lot about the last two Scotland tournaments um, that I covered as a journalist as well, '96 and '98, and how enjoyable they were, even though we had the inevitable um, 
disappointment in the end. I like the group. Um, it suits Scotland. I like the way the fixtures work out. The order of the games is 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 good. I like the fact they've invented, um, you know, third place teams can qualify. Um, it's a funny group in the finishing, <laughs> finishing third in Group D might be as good as finishing first if you look at the way the second round works up works out because oh, you're right you you could, you could play Portugal in the second round by win, winning the group you could get a much better draw by finishing third so I, look, we, I, I'm not making any big predictions but we've got a chance we've got a chance of getting points out of every game and and, and that's a, that's amazing we've got a good manager we've got a forward. Um, we've got the two best left backs <laughs> in the world. Um, I love it. We've mess- got a forward. <laughs> we've got a forward. <laughs> banging on a- two forwards today. Tom's, Tom's banging on about how Harry Kane but always delivers. He's going to score so many goals. Jonathan, we've got, we've got a forward. We've Brilliant. Got a forward. Brilliant. <laughs> I, only a Scott would know how much that actually means. <laughs> you sat, sat through all the Ollie McBurney and Stephen Fletcher years. The thing about it is, Jonathan, everything that I asked you about, you know, not going along for the ride, your sense of jubilation just for qualifying, I wonder whether you think the Scotland squad might feel the same, the relief of qualification, but maybe just feeling, look, we'll give it a good go, we'll see what happens, might count against them. I don't think it will, to be fair, because I think Steve Clark is 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 just not that sort. Um, and you've got players like McTominay and, and, and Robertson, um, and Tierney are very sort of driven individuals. So actually, no, I don't. And I, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's going to be the kind of happy tourist thing. I think we'll be a hard, rugged team to play against as well. I don't think that can be a bad thing. I just that just brought to mind. I was reading in uh, our, our kind of Euros preview pullout. Uh, Asher Williams writing about how we, when Wales qualified, it was like they were all looking around like this. Is, he said, "This is comical. This felt comical to us. It was like, what what the hell are we doing here?" Um, and you know, because just getting there was such a, a prize for them, and there was a great team spirit. And I think there's something similar getting, being built with with Scotland, and that you know that can take you quite far. So I don't think that's going to be a, you know, we're just going to get caught up and we've made it here. That's it. You know, put our feet up. No chance. Um, and if you want to know what you know how it feels and why we've got big massive smiles all over our face, I just you know I was 14 the last time in in '98, and now I'm a dad. that sums up that sums up I was at school and now I'm a dad that's the last you know that's that's the years that have passed between (laughs) between this so we are just delighted to be part of the the party Um, and I think let's hope you're not a granddad next time (laughs) (laughs) I know yeah (laughs) thanks Tom this is the the thing look I like the fact that you mentioned Wales last time around as well because actually Gregor I think the approach from Steve Clark, Scotland, is somewhat similar. And I think it's really, the use of McTominay in particular has been really, really clever. We mentioned some of the other great players in the team as well. Do you think they will elevate themselves to be greater than the sum of their parts? I think they already have. I think they already, they've already proven, you know, proven they can do that. Um, and a lot, you know, the credit goes to, to Steve Clark for that. When you're talking about are there issues or question marks, there are, but Scotland kind of seemed to be a approaching that or viewing them with a completely through a completely different lens it's like you know we've got a lot of good midfielders who are we going to pick uh you know could, will we play McGinn slightly advanced or is he going to be some one of the two that are sitting um is McTominay going to play at the back because we've got so many good midfielders there are a few questions like that but it really it's about getting most of our best players on the pitch if we can and you know 
as I say, Jay McAdams, as he calls himself now, he's uh, he's added some another option because Lyndon Dykes transformed. You know, I don't think without Lyndon Dykes, uh, you know, saying he would play for Scotland, I don't think we would be here. Um, and and now Adams, you know, there was a glimpse of them two working working quite well together at front, so we could even play with a front two and be, you know, I think they're two guys who I don't think many defenders would like enjoy playing against. They're better players, but they are physical. They work very hard, and they've got you know a little bit of quality as well. So. Who knows? Surprise package. Let's see. <laughs> you could be the surprise package. A bit like Wales last time around, Jonathan. I know you mentioned the third team can qualify. How important is a win in the first game for Scotland? What could it do for them? Yeah, I mean, with that game, and I think you're almost through, I think three points is probably going to end up taking you through, even if it's just a third place berth. So that, that'd be enormous. I mean, the checks are actually quite decent. They're probably the same standard as Scotland. Um, maybe you know, maybe slightly better on paper, but that a win, a win would be amazing. You, you know, you, you've almost booked your place in the in the next round, and then you go to Wembley with a free hit. I mean, I, I don't expect a win to be honest. I I, 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 I could see two draws in those two opening games, um, and it going all the way to the to the last game. But uh, oh wow, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, you've got, you've got me dreaming there. This is exactly, this is far too romantic for me. You know, you two are usually, you know, you're straight to the point, you're serious, dare I say dour at times. And, and, <laughs> and look at you now, it's all it's all romance, lovey-dovey, you know, oh, we're just happy to be there, we can't wait. I was expecting, you know, some some realism to it, no? You're making us feel uncomfortable, with, but yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's why we're giggling like kids, because it's, we're, yeah, we're not used to this as Scots. What we are used to is is having some, you know, any hope extinguished very quickly. So, so let's see how we're dis- how we're speaking next week, and you know whether we've still got these big smiles on our face or not. Absolutely. Look, I think Scotland for me. We'll talk about them a little bit later on because I think they could do great things. We'll be picking out later on, by the way, what we think might be some of the surprises of the tournament, some of the great players, our golden boot winner too. We'll hear who Jose Mourinho thinks will be the players to watch at Euro 2020 very shortly. But let me reflect on Wales. Since I'm here in Baku, Azerbaijan, I've made the trip. I'll be watching Wales' first two games against Switzerland and Turkey. I just wanted to talk about really what Baku has been like. There aren't many Wales fans, I've got to say. We're expecting about 600. But actually, the stadium here in Baku can hold more fans than any other stadium at the whole of Euro 2020, 31,000 fans in all. The first game is massively important for Wales. Of course, they're taking on Switzerland. They won't have many of their fans here either. They'll be very much from the local vicinity. But that first game is all important for them. They're taking on the team number 13 in the world who topped their group, a group including Denmark, uh, in their qualifiers. But I think why it's, it's so important for them to get three points in that first game is the second match will be like a home game for Turkey because of its proximity to Turkey, the fact you can get an easy flight here for a few hours from Istanbul, and the fact that their last game, they'll be going to Italy to play Italy at the Stadio Olimpico, and, and that will be a very, very tough game as well. Maybe Italy will feel they're already through at that point. Maybe they'll rest some players, but you can't really think about that. And there are, there are concerns. I've been to the Wales squad. I spoke to Joe Allen yesterday. He's only played... A couple of games for his club, Stoke City, since the end of March. Those were the two warm-up matches. Aaron Ramsey of Juventus is back. But again, he's had many, many fitness concerns this year. And Gareth Bale, who's the player that everyone still wants to talk about, 
hasn't, of course, gone back to his peak production at Tottenham Hotspur. He's, of course, getting back towards somewhere near his fitness level. But again, that the approach for Wales in this competition can't just be a little bit like it was last time around, get the ball to Gareth. There's a whole new back line as well. So look, they're, 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 they are reflecting on 2016. They're trying to take as much as they can from 2016, this Wales squad. But I was sort of, I was taken aback slightly by Joe Allen. And maybe it's just because he's speaking to the media saying that all three of those big players would be at 100% ready to give their absolute peak best. And for me, that was maybe just playing with the with the with the media a little bit and the journalists because they just can't be. And for me, they need those three to be absolutely at their best. We'll come to who starts in the forward line in just a moment. But Tom Roddy, do Wales have any chance of doing something special in this competition without Ramsey, Bell, and Allen at their absolute best? I think when we talking about the home nations, uh, for me, a lot of it goes to preparation, expectation. Um, and a kind of, of harmony in, in the squads. And I completely, uh, I had exactly the same thoughts as Gregor thinking of, of Scotland, that, that there's this um, excitement about going into a first tournament in so many years, a, a quality there that has, that has got them over the line and means they're going to be hard to play against. And there, there are, you can draw comparisons to, to Wales from five years ago. And of course, because of that, there is expectation on Wales this time. There is, there, there's kind of the, the feeling of, um, of going on a, a, a holiday um, that you went on before, which was absolutely brilliant. And it doesn't meet the same standards and, and expectation you had before. Plus, I mean, you look at the key individuals in, in that squad and it's different to, to to it's completely different to 2016 in that Gareth Bale is is an entirely different player, a much older player. And uh, int- I mean, Jose Mourinho noted in the in our Euros pullout that yes, he scored a lot of goals for Tottenham um, towards the end of this season, but they weren't against the big teams. Um, and then you've got Aaron Ramsey, who hasn't had the best season at Juventus, hasn't been involved in as much as he probably would have liked to have done. Dan James, who maybe with an optimi- optimistic um, uh, viewpoint, the fact he's had a difficult time at United going to Wales and being part of what is clearly a very harmonious um, squad group of players. Um, uh, they it, it could help release him. Um, but I just think that the preparations and the expectations, the situation with the manager, of course, Robert Page being brought in now, um, the expectation and the preparation doesn't add up to the same performance of five years ago. Rob Page, I, pl- I played with at Chesterfield in his last his last three years of his career, and he's um, he's someone who like quite rare you beat in football, but just commands complete respect from everyone, um, and is a really really good guy. Very few people have a bad word to say about him, you know. And I, he's also a, a smart guy. And he's someone who I would have immediately pinpointed as, you know, a, uh, someone who has a, a really a lot of potential to be a to be a manager. And it's difficult when you when you start in management. He kind of, you know, he had 
spells at Northampton and Port Vale and there were extenuating circumstances. I think he followed Chris Wilder at Northampton after one promotion, big shoes to fill. Port Vale, he had a really difficult uh, chairman to work with. And he's, but he's got a reputation as a really good coach. So I think when you combine that and the fact he's been at, around the Wales camp for a long, long time, uh, and put, you know, he was brought into the into the, the fold by gigs. He knows everyone. As I say, they will respect him. He's not like, who's this guy, Rob Page? He's somebody, he won a lot of caps for Wales. He, would have, he was a big voice in the dressing room, I've heard, even when he was playing for Wales, uh, with big players like Bellamy around him and, you know, and gigs. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be an issue. I really don't. So... You know, it, it, clearly it was a disruption, but I don't. I honestly don't think that's going to be a big, a big issue for Wales. Um, and looking at them, I, I, Kiefer Moore's another player you can you can throw into and say no one's going to like to play against him. Gregor, every single person you meet here associated with Wales, all the journalists, every single fan, all the ex-players, the first two words everyone is saying is Kiefer Moore. Twenty-three goals for club and country, Cardiff City, of course this season you say you know Scotland have got a forward well of course there's some great players in the Wales squad but he's six foot four you know what he does he's also quite mobile for a, for a centre forward are you surprised that he isn't starting regularly for Wales yes I mean look, those players you were talking about were are huge names and have been huge players for Wales Ramsey and Bale and well, clearly Bale's the one here we're talking about Bale's like likely to play through the middle so it's again it's like it's a bit like England it's like Finding the right formula there. If you're playing Kiefer Moore, it's who you have playing off of. I mean, you've got to think about Dan James because of the speed, you know, running in behind. Uh, you know, I, I, I think David Brooks is a brilliant player as well, and I think he was starting to get towards some of his his best form towards the end of the season. You now he's been he struggled with injury and um, but obviously got to the playoffs with with Bournemouth. I think he's a really good player, and then you've got Harry Wilson as well, who's a who's a creative player. So the, Wales have some really talented forwards. I think, again, it's about how they kind of, how they deploy them and finding that the right formula up front. But for me, Kiefer Moore should start because he's something very different. And I think Wales have the players who can run off him uh, or can support him from behind. Uh, you know, it, it, it's about playing effective football in these tournaments. And I think that is probably the most effective football that Wales could play. Taylor Roberts as well is not a bad player. Absolutely, yeah. You know, they've, got, they've got loads of, um, they've got loads of those options. They've got youth, um, energy and they do have pace in, the, in those forward areas and that's maybe what can nurse the likes of Ramsey and Bale through that they you know they, they, they maybe won't have to um, do quite as much running as they would have done um, a couple of years ago it's just at the back um, I, you know Chris Coleman was so it's funny Michael O'Neill was the same at Northern Ireland they both for it was the same template they just made them so hard to beat so solid um, and they had the experience of the likes of Williams to, to pull them together. And that's that's what they're lacking now. I mean, so those centre-backs are quite decent, you know, Rodon, Meth, and they're, they're good players, but do they have the... Um, are they going to be as, 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 as just, you know, gnarly and, and, and difficult as they were five years ago? They're not, so it's just going to have to be a different, a different Wales. But, I mean, talk about, you know, Robert Page's job, the fact he just, he seems to showing such confidence and you know even, even the selection of someone like Colwell he's coming in that job as if he's he's been Wales manager for four or five years that's what strikes me he's got a calm assurance about him I don't know if that's what he was like as a bloke in the dressing room but he doesn't seem very flustered absolutely that's what I mean he's kind of confident 
commands respect. You know, good guy, a voice in the changing room. That was that was the that's the kind of teammate he was. And and as I say, I I always thought he would have a good chance in in management and as a coach. And you know, it's difficult when you start in the lower leagues. And I, I personally would like to see him get this opportunity. And I think you know, as I, as I say, he's been a part of of Wales of Wales set up for a long time. And I think I think uh, he's a, definitely a safe pair of hands. Well, maybe I'm just a little bit biased, but I'm really excited to see what Wales can do uh, over the next couple of games here in Baku, maybe just because I get to go to the games. Uh, We'll be looking ahead up next to what we think might happen over the coming weeks at Euro 2020. We'll hear what Jose Mourinho, the special one, thinks about that next on the podcast. But remember, since we've got programmes for you each and every day, Make sure you have subscribed for more of our award-winning journalism, of course, but subscribe to the podcast and the Times and the Sunday Times across all of your devices right now for less than £1 per day. Just visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game and you can start your free trial. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, we're delighted to announce and welcome to the game podcast, the special one, Jose Mourinho, the former Manchester United, Chelsea, Real Madrid and Inter Milan boss will be giving us his expert insights for the duration of Euro 2020 and heartily supporting his beloved Portugal, I am sure. But he'll be giving his insights on England and all the home nations as well throughout the competition, not just to us here at the game, but also to the Times and the Sunday Times. You'll be able to read his exclusive columns there too. But I did get the lucky opportunity to meet Jose Mourinho a little bit earlier on last month. And and I started by asking him about which players he thinks we should be keeping a close eye on at Euro 2020. Have a listen. I think it's a great occasion for Ruben Diaz to prove that he's the best central defender now. Um, he did it in the Premier League. I think is is a moment now to show at at an international uh, level. Um, Mbappe is since I saw him the first time a kind of of a passion and. Uh, the season was not a very good season for him. I hope that uh, in the Euros he shows everybody that um, 
with Cristiano and Messi on the late 30s now, it's time for him to, to step up and say, I'm here. Well, let me ask you about Ruben Diaz while we're here. Did you think he would come into the Premier League and look as if he's been one of the best defenders in the world and one of the best defenders at a Champions League winning side or a Premier League winning side you for know, the last five there years? There is always a little, a little question mark in front because mm. one thing is to play in, in the Portuguese uh, League One and another thing is to play uh, in the Premier League, but it was, it was, it was the potential. Mm. It was the potential, and um, of course he came to a, to a very good team with a very good coach, and he gave that step uh, that step up. But of course, uh, in terms of potential, you know where the potential is. But then how they adapt, how fast they do, can they make the jump? And this is where I give the credit to the uh, to the kid because he arrived and immediately transformed he transformed the team. And on Kylian Mbappe, you say he needs to send that message out to uh, the likes of Messi and Ronaldo, to world football, really, that he's the next one. Do you think he can reach the same levels as those two players? Because they could go down in history I hope as, so. as the best. I hope so. When, when I was um, a very young assistant coach at, at Barcelona, I fell in love with uh, Ronaldo Nazario, which for me was... Absolutely incredible. I, I remember some some matches uh, sitting next to Mr. Robson and even Mr. Robson with the whole experience he had. He was amazed with what that guy could do. Um, he, he didn't better because he had incredible bad injuries when he was at Inter. But that Ronaldo was absolutely incredible. And I see Mbappe with Ronaldo things. Uh, I don't like to compare players because so many times it's unfair, but I see Mbappe with, uh, with Ronaldo things. And uh, I think it's time. I know that he's world champion already, but I think it's time for him in the next couple of years uh, to put, uh, you know, like I used to say, to kick the bucket and to tell everybody that, uh, that I'm the best. I think he has incredible potential. He's the kind of player that fears opponents fear. You play against him and you fear. Uh, that's the way I look at him. That's the view of the special one, Jose Mourinho. You'll be able to hear more from him, not just on the game podcast throughout Euro 2020, but you can also read his views in the Times and the Sunday Times as well. Uh, Ruben Diaz, he's picked out Kylian Mbappe. He stuck his neck out on that one uh, to say that he's going to shine at this tournament as well. And we thought we would consider... Some of the things we think might happen over the coming weeks. Firstly, I think we should discuss who we think might be winners. Now, guys, let's be realistic. As good as Scotland and even England might be, who do we think might win this competition? Thinking with our heads here. Tom Roddy, I'll start with you. My instinct immediately goes towards France. Um Largely because they've been there and done it. I think the whole, you know, Belgium are quite understandably come into the conversation. They've got such talent, but it slightly feels like their generation, this this golden generation that they had is coming to t- towards the end of a cycle. Um, and and maybe we'll see some, some, some more talents coming through this year, but it feels like it has come towards an end. And, 
I just look at France and I see Mbappe as a a golden boot winner because he's just I mean what he did at the the World Cup was was incredible at the age he was um he he's a he's a real superstar Mbappe and um I don't think Jose has quite stuck his neck out there picking him out as a as a player of the tournament because I think most people would would expect him to be but they're just they're just such a settled side they're the the opposite of England in the way that you could predict that lineup and let's not forget as well N'Golo Kante because he is he, he any team seems unsurprisingly to do exceptionally well when he's in the side. He offers the beautiful balance that allows the the, the the brilliant attacking players France have got to play with with freedom, and and they've got a strong defence as well. It's it's beautifully balanced, um, and and if if they did go on to win it, then you you would think. Kante would be on his way to towards a Ballon d'Or. Gregor Robertson, who do you think might win it? Uh, it's really it's hard to look beyond France. I know that everyone's saying it. They they just have a galaxy of stars. The only thing is the return of Benzema. You know he's a fantastic player, but it's kind of Giroud playing up top and the players running beyond him and Bappy running beyond him. That's been the the go to thing. So look, they they have the best squad undoubtedly. And I have to say, I watched a bit of Portugal last night. And I, I really like Portugal as well. I think, you know, they have as well a, an outstanding squad. When you look at, you know, Ronaldo, Jota, Joel Felix, uh, you know, they've got, they've got Bernardo Silva. Yeah. They've got, you know, Fernandes scored an absolute worldie. Did you see his goal? Absolute worldie. Just from the edge of the box, whipped in the top corner. It's so easy for him. They've got you know, players who can win a game with a moment of individual magic and brilliance like that. Um, Slight question marks at the back, but the, you know, the I think I think the, those are my two. Belgium, I think I agree. I think they've gone slightly past their their best, and I, also at the back is their their issue. They've got some kind of aging defenders, and um, so yeah, I'll go for. I think Fran- France are the favourites for me, but Portugal, I like. Let's move on next to who we think might be the top scorer, the Golden Boot winner. This one should be pretty easy. Tom Roddy. I'm sticking with Mbappe um, because because of how far France will will go. Um, uh, otherwise, I think if 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 England go far, then Harry Kane um, will definitely be up there. But with them facing a problematic first knockout round, um, which it's hard to see past that, I'm going to stick with Mbappe. Harry Kane. <laughs> That's all I have to say. No, I think I mean Crikey's record's a joke. Mbappe Mbappe's clearly gonna be up there too, but I think Harry Kane might do. I think England have got enough creativity, enough players who are gonna give him, give him make him the chances. Um enough players who like to hit the deck quite easily and get win him a penalty. Uh, <laughs> um yeah, I'm going for Harry Kane. Jonathan? I mean the golden boot winner tends to be someone who scores a load in the group stages. Um, so I think Lukaku, uh, who was, I, th- I think he was almost the last time, wasn't it? Him and Harry came one goal separated them or something. But yeah, I think I think he'll score an absolute packet against the likes of Finland and, and Russia um, and probably like Wales or something in the second round. 
Um, and no matter what else Belgium do, um, he'll have enough to, to win. I mean, he's been in such incredible form as well. He's absolutely at his prime at the moment. So Lukaku for me. The surprise package, Tom Roddy, of the tournament. I've got this feeling about um, Denmark doing doing quite well. I like I like them. I think they're I think they've got a solid foundation. Um, a, a really strong midfield um, and a decent defence. I think their only issue is is who's going to put the ball in the back of the net, really, which which a lot of teams struggle with. And um, as Johnny said earlier, a lot of these teams that do well at tournaments, but because of what Johnny said earlier, a lot of these teams doing well at tournaments are are having a, a strong core. So I, I think I think Denmark could do really well this summer. Denmark, okay, Gregor. I think Wales. Wales could finish runner-up in that group, and then if you know, I think if you look at who they could be playing, I think they play playing somebody from Group B after that, and it's Denmark, Finland, or Russia, Belgium would win the group. I think so. I think Wales could. I think Wales could uh, spring a surprise. I don't think you know. There's not that much expectation about them this time. I don't think there is really, just because of the disruption, um, and as you say, people thinking that a lot of their best players are either entering the tournament not in the best form or the best form is behind them uh, but I still think that Wales could could surprise one or two I'm, I'm not saying Scotland because I think that wouldn't be a surprise you know <laughs> <laughs> and which player do you think will really announce themselves to the, the international stage Tom Roddy I'm going for one who I'm I'm scared won't even won't even play because, because of the richness of um, of quality in, in his position uh Spain, uh, I mean, we all, we all know Spain's quality from uh, from the last generation. I mean, they dominated it around 2010, 2012, 2008. And we're seeing a sort of new cycle come through. And we haven't even mentioned Spain because they're not on that, that kind of top that top level. And there's not a whole lot of expectation on them this year. But the one player who I've been so, so enjoyed watching uh, over this last year at the times I have been able to watch him is Pedri, the, the 18 year old midfielder who had, you know, we, you think of you think of this tournament being played this year and the players like, say, Jude Bellingham, who who wouldn't have there pretty much no chance he'd have been involved uh, had this tournament been played the year it happened, it was meant to happen last year, and those who have benefited from from that weight, uh, from the delay, and, and Pedri is one of them. I I just enjoy watching him. He he plays simply, but considering his age, there are comparisons to be drawn in the in the um, in the maturity of the way he controls the game with Bellingham, the way he controls the game and dictates play. Um, the issue, of course, is that he's, he's got Thiago Alcantara, Sergio Busquets, Koke, Rodri. I mean, there's a, there's a chance he won't even get many minutes. But I think if he does, then... We we will he will get a a stage in which we'll see a, a player who is going to be a real class talent over the next decade. This might sound like a daft one because we know him very well. I just have a feeling that Jack Grealish could be the England's most important player by the end of this tournament. I think he's completely 
I'm flustered by anything. And I think, you know, there's a lot of the shine, the, the focus is on Phil Foden and understandably so, he's a great talent. But I just think that Grealish is pretty unique. And you know, again, he may not play. He might, be, he might be an impact player in the early games and he might have to work his way into the starting 11. He might not get into the starting 11, but I think he will have a big impact in this tournament. Um, and, you know, we know him very well, but I think that will put him on a, on a higher plane and it may even mean that he's no longer at, at Villa next season. If he's not in England starting 11, I will be beginning the, the hashtag Southgate out, believe me. Uh, Jonathan? My feelings actually, Jude Bellingham, you know, we've seen him play brilliantly as a, as, as, a, as a more attacking midfielder. We've seen him play as a, a more defensive midfielder. I think because Jordan Henderson's got injury problems, he could get thrust in. And if he does, going by what we've seen so far, if he does get a run, he could he could emerge as absolutely stellar for England. What a positive note to end on. Thank you, Jonathan. Another great English talent coming to the fore, not to be uh, too biased. Uh, look, that has wet the appetite. It surely has. For some of the great players we'll see from not just the home nations, but some of the other countries involved in Euro 2020 as well. Jonathan Northcroft, Tom Roddy, Gregor Robertson, thank you very much for being with me for the past hour or so. Remember, we will have a podcast for you on the game each and every day of the tournament that there are matches. It all starts tomorrow, of course, with the opening game between Italy and Turkey and a very busy weekend for all of us as well. So we will be back with you very, very soon. Make sure you're subscribed, though, of course, not just to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, but also to the Times and the Sunday Times. If you sign up today, you can get it for less than £1 a day. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to start your free trial. We'll see you soon. Take care. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.